Pittsburgh Steeler fans, it is time once again to go back in time with BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. Alongside me is Tony Defio. as we have the black and gold DeLorean all shined up, ready to go, getting it ready to get to 88 miles per hour. And Tony Defio, he brought the plutonium. What is up, my man? I am excited. I'm really excited to go back to one of my favorite towns in, in Steelers history, and that's Blitzburg. Oh, that's right. With the co-mayors, Gregory F. Lloyd Esquire and Kevin J. Green. I, I don't know their middle names. I'm just throwing <laughs> something in there. Hey, it works for me. Now I've got to look that up. I think I think it was quiver, quiver and quake. Now that I now that I think about it, we are going back to the '90s, as I think you have all figured out, Tony Defio, by saying Blitzburg boys, two men. What happened? They were number one, and they were number one with a bullet with a huge song, one of the biggest songs of the '90s. It was "I'll Make Love to You." How many times was that on your speaker when you were wooing? The opposite attraction. Not enough, apparently, because uh, I, I meet a lot of women today who are a lot younger and who still who, who know boys to men. They were way ahead of their time. And the number one movie has a lot to do with time, like you just said. It was Jean-Claude Van Damme and it was Time Cop. So Time Cop is just like us getting in that time machine. They're fighting crime. We're talking about crimes against the offense. Yeah, I, I forgot all about that movie. Uh, Jean-Claude, he was really, really big in this era. And, and uh, he was a, a number one box office guy for, what, three or four years. And I forgot all about Time Cop. I had a buddy named Sean back in high school and college. He was a definite yinzer. And we lost him about two years ago. So may he rest in peace. Um, died from pancreatic cancer and just a, a mm. terrible, a terrible situation. But he was a guy, he was great with butchering names but he would call him Gene Clude Clam Dam. Oh, wow. <laughs> First, he was <laughs> really? serious about it, and then it just became funny. <laughs> but, became his, his thing. So I always think about that when I think of Time Cop. I want to go back to Quiver and Quake. I did have a chance to look up their middle names. It is Greg Leonard Lloyd, Kevin Darwin Green. Oh, okay. How about that's that? The... What a cool name. That sounds pretty sophisticated. And, and, and Greg Leonard, I mean, that's something if Greg Leonard Lloyd, he should have used that as his full name. That would, he would have scared people even more. It might not even be Leonard. It might be Leonard. I'm not sure. It's spelled <laughs> L-E-N-A-R-D. I might be incorrect on the pronunciation of that. But nevertheless, Quiver and Quake, like you said, they rolled the day back in the 90s. Yes, we are going back to week three, September 18th. 1994, if you haven't guessed that already, Tony Defio. I thoroughly enjoyed watching this game, and I'm, I can't wait to talk about it with you. I, I remember the season, the 94 season. On my desk right now is a signed football. Uh, most of the members of the 94 team, the one that almost made it but didn't quite, you know, the three yards they failed to get. Since I really started following them, that I, that I thought that they had a legitimate shot at winning the Super Bowl, that they were that good. So I really loved 1994. And in 1994, the Colts were coming to town and they were one and one at the time. And the Steelers were also one and one at the time, but the Steelers were prohibitive favorites in this game. The Colts were bringing a former NFL coach of the year, but also 
a former number one draft pick of the Pittsburgh Steelers. In fact, fifth overall out of St. Bonaventure in Detroit in 1953, quarterback Ted Marchabroda. It was his second stint with him, I believe. I don't think people realize that he was from Pittsburgh and he was a former Steeler. Franklin PA. Now, Ted Marchabroda, Tony, I associate him with being the first coach of the Baltimore Ravens as well. And he was a longtime broadcaster for the Baltimore team. And I've got to say this, I always thought he was a class act, even though he was speaking for the Ravens. I absolutely agree. He was uh, such a nice guy. And, and that's something I didn't know that he was the, the Ravens first head coach. I probably knew, I probably knew that at the time, but I, I kind of forgot about it. And it makes sense because you have a new team, uh, you're moving into to Baltimore and, and you want to reignite that nostalgia from the past. So, yeah, it makes sense that Ted Marchbrotter was the uh, Ravens first, uh, first head coach. Who did he replace and who was fired? Bill Belichick. Absolutely. Bill Belichick could have been the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, but he was fired when they made that move. He was a good coach for Cleveland. Now Cleveland was doing okay. Things went wrong in 95 when they decided to sell that team. So that's just interesting stuff as well to think that Bill Belichick could have been the Ravens head coach and the Ravens could have been the Patriots. So let's get started into this game. It was a clear, crisp day in Western Pennsylvania. Now, Indy came into the game with an exciting rookie by the name of Marshall Falk. And you remember Marshall. He led the league in yards from scrimmage those first couple games, running and receiving. Now, in celebration of the NFL's 75th anniversary, both teams were wearing their throwback uniforms. And I love the attire that the Steelers wore. Tony, how do you explain those gold jerseys that Pittsburgh was dawning on that day. I mean, they look great. And for some reason, when I thought about this game all those years before I went back and watched it, I always pictured the Bumblebee uniforms, but the Bumblebee uniforms didn't come to much later. But I think these uni uniforms are much cooler looking, in my opinion. They had the city crest in the middle, and it was so cool to have that on there. So they had a crest. The numbers were small up on the shoulder, but in a field of gold, you had the black and white lettering. On the back, it was just straight black numbers and black lettering for the names. It was really sharp. Then the Colts had the opportunity to wear throwbacks as well in this game, and they did. They <laughs> wore their 1958 uniforms. Did you see any difference in those jerseys and those pants? I did not see any difference at all in fact if you wouldn't have brought it up I, I might have completely forgot about the fact that they were also wearing their throwback jerseys they really haven't changed at all i bet you the joke that i made back then if i was on btsc even though btsc did not exist back then but if i was there and i was commenting on it i would have said that the colts are wearing their throwback jerseys from 1993 <laughs> and they were they actually were <laughs> There was absolutely no difference, but I love how they were saying it. Um, to start the game, Don Cricky and Beasley Reese, who was a very good team, actually. I really like that team together. And they were talking about the uh, throwback uniforms for both teams. And Beasley Reese was wearing a leather helmet. And he said, you know, the only difference is they're not going to be wearing this leather helmet. Beasley looked awesome and ridiculous all at the same time. I absolutely loved it. That's something that I would have done, Tony. But let's begin this contest. 13-year vet Gary Anderson, fresh off of meeting me four months earlier. 
kicked the ball high and into the waiting arms of Ronald Humphrey, the rookie at the five yard line. No problem. You say problem. Humphrey says number 25 took his route, right? And then up the middle, he shifted to the left sidelines and outran Dion figures for the touchdown. Man, that's not the way to start this game. You're at home. You've got throwbacks. You've got a riotous crowd, Tony. Dean Biasucci, he kicks it through. Just like that, five seconds of the game. It's 7 to nothing. Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, what a stunning start to this game. I, I forgot all about this, obviously, but now I know why it was such a struggle early on. I, the Steelers special teams back then, they had some pretty off years, you know, even when they won. And uh, I guess this year was kind of a struggle for them, too. And a special teams breakdown right away, and you're down 7 nothing before the home folks have even sat down in their seats. The return, as they all were in 1994, well, it was aided by the moving the kickoff line back from the 35 to the 30. On the sideline, the chin was not happy. Bill Cower was letting special teams coach Bobby April have an earful on that one. I know he was. I always found that funny when you, when you see the, the uh, NFL films, highlights of Cower screaming at his assistants. It's almost always Bobby April back in those days. <laughs> <laughs> it was on this day too. And, and I think it continued throughout the game because you know there were some other uh, mistakes, but it was funny because Bobby April's going, I'm trying, Coach. You can, see, you can see it on his face that, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him. I'll talk to him. But it was already the horse was out of the barn, so to speak, by that point. Poor Bobby April. Bobby April was a good coach. He took a lot of flack because the special teams under Cower, they weren't good. And he gets a lot of credit for something that happened a year later called surprise on sides in the Super Bowl. So that's something that had Bobby April stamp all over it as well. Even though we joke about him, a fine man and a fine coach was Bobby April and had a lot of respect from Bill Cower. When the Steelers' Rod Woodson stepped back and said, all right, guys, I just made the 75th anniversary team and I'm still in the league. I haven't been in the league long. I was drafted in 1987 and I'm a fine kick returner myself. Go ahead, boys. See what happens when you boot it to me. And it looked like Rod Woodson could match Humphrey. But he was brought down at the 33 after a 28-yard return. It looked like he was about to break one. Outcomes number 14, Neil O'Donnell and the offense. And alongside him, Tony's Barry Foster. Foster was only averaging 2.8 yards per carry. So he runs a couple after O'Donnell finds rookie Charles Johnson on the first play for an eight-yard gain. There's another first down by Foster on the ground. Then 14 overthrows Foster and then overthrows Johnson. And you got to bring Mark Royals on to punt. O'Donnell talked to Don Cricky and Beasley Reese, like we mentioned before the game, regarding the offense failing to find their rhythm. Tony, was it any more apparent here to start the game that this offense was like me dancing? No rhythm whatsoever. No rhythm whatsoever. And, and I think a lot of that was because of the struggles of Foster, Barry Foster, as you said, he, he, he kind of had an injury-filled year the year before, and we all saw how good he was, how valuable he was to them in 1992 when he set all those records. So he was definitely somebody that they needed to have the offense flow through, and until that happened, the offense was not going to have any rhythm. In came Jimmy Harbaugh, who was having a career renaissance in Indy, and he was ready to lead the Colts' offense on their second series against a dangerous Steelers defense. He was 2-0 and against the Steelers, both by quarterbacking the Chicago Bears. And spoiler alert, 
he was a jerk then just like he is now <laughs> and just like his brother is <laughs> and his brother has nothing to do with this game but i can't mention a harbaugh without saying that john harbaugh is a complete wang so jim is too oh yeah i think he as far as the competitive side he might be a bigger wang than his brother but his brother is a ravens coach there's nobody that surpasses him as far as my hatred for nfl head coaches <laughs> John Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh, they're pretty good coaches. And I have a friend that is a huge Ohio State fan, and she absolutely abhors this guy more than <laughs> we abhor his brother, John Harbaugh. Her daughters are not allowed to say the word Michigan. In fact, wow. she's a school teacher, and she only recognizes 49 states. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That's good stuff. I love her. Uh, here we go. Falk had 14 yards on three carries and completions by Harbaugh to carry cash. And Sean Dawkins had Indianapolis marching towards Pittsburgh territory. But an ill-timed Eric Malum penalty. I'm not familiar with Eric Malum until watching this game again. Oh, he had a hands to the face and it negated a first down for the Colts, Tony. When Lloyd sacked Harbaugh on a rollout, future Steeler punter Ron Stark came on to kick the ball away. This is really interesting, Tony. Not just Ron Stark, the very next year, was playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Their kicker, Dean Biasucci, went to camp with the Steelers as well. So both kicker and punter that we're talking about in this game were a member in the preseason of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ron Stark had a fantastic year for the Steelers. He was a good free agent pickup. Biasucci just did not work out, replacing Gary Anderson. And on came my guy, the great Norm Johnson. But Tony, it was a short kick by Stark. And a 12-yard return by Woodson gave the home team the football in great field position. It's at their own 46. And here comes Barry Foster. This guy was promising in this game. But Andre Hastings was separated from the ball after being blasted by Ray Buchanan. He was tattooed, Tony. And an O'Donnell incompletion near Johnson stopped the Steelers' progress. Royals came out again to punt. So it looks like here we go again. The Colts are going to get the ball. Jim Harbaugh is going to own this team. But staunch defense by the black and gold featuring Lloyd, LeVon Kirkland, Chad Brown, Jeff Zaginia, Jared Williams, Ray Seals, and Keevan Henry forced another stark punt. With 147 remaining in the first, the Steelers put the ball in the hands of Foster after a 16-yard pass play from 14 to 88, O'Donnell to Andre Hastings. Foster, to start the second quarter, reeled off 23 yards to go with runs of 9 and 2 for 2. With the Steelers in business at the Colts 8, they're looking for a tie. Fortunes would change drastically. And Tony Defio, we are going to come back after a short break, and you are going to tell all of us how those fortunes change. Be right back with us on the Steelers Retro Show from BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Welcome back to the Steelers Retro Show. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. His name is Tony Defio, Anthony Julius Defio, to be precise. And we are talking about the Steelers and the Colts. It's week three in a very important contest for two one-and-one -one teams early on in that season. Tony, the Colts are up seven to nothing. The Steelers have a chance to tie. But what happened? 
Well, they were riding the foster train down to the eight yard line. Instead of continuing with him, O'Donnell went back to pass and he was nailed from behind by Tony Bennett. I think Tony Bennett left Neil O'Donnell's heart in the turf of Three River Stadium. That's how hard he hit him. <laughs> I was and, waiting uh, for that joke to come up. And Quentin Corriott uh, picked it up, linebacker, and uh, took it 85 yards. And instead of being 7-7 or at the very least 7-3, it is 14-0 visitors. The heavily underdog visitors are up 14-0 over, over the Steelers, who definitely needed this game to get off to a good start to their season. So with 13-35 left in the half, the Colts are up 14-0, like you just said. And there's no crooning in the stands of three rivers, but there was crying. Yes. Enough was enough for superstar Rod Woodson, who looked to break the ensuing kickoff for a 98 yard return and the score. Oh my gosh, Tony. It was a thing of beauty as he rolled up the right sidelines and went in for the score. That place was a rockin' right after that, but there was a yellow flag on the field. Woodson's turned around looking like, what's the deal? I thought I had a touchdown, but no, the flag had nothing to do with it. What was it? He stepped out of bounds, unfortunately, just barely. And they didn't have instant replay in those days. And if they did, he probably wouldn't have been overturned. Instead of a touchdown, they had to settle for a simply pretty darn good field position. He touched like maybe two white blades of grass, right? He just grazed it, but that's enough, Tony. What were your thoughts on that? It would have been hard to, to argue with the officials on that play. And if instant replay did exist, it would, there wouldn't have been any real visual evidence, especially back in 1994, to overturn it. You could definitely make an argument for him, as you said, just barely stepping out of bounds, but you couldn't really see anything to overturn it either. But undeterred, O'Donnell went equal parts air and ground, aided by a 15-yard or two my man Yancey Thigpen, one of my all-time faves, and a seven-yarder to his gigantic tight end, Eric Green. Another one of our favorites, Tony. Eric Green was a specimen. He was, and, and they were really talking him up in this game. It, it just shows you how much talent he had and how much different he was than most of the tight ends of his era. And, and if he would have been able to put his – I mean, he had a decent career, but if he would have been able to really put it together, he could have been one of the all-time greats. With a first down at the Colts 27, Neil O'Donnell found himself in peril. He's rolling right. He lost it 27 yards into the end zone, into the waiting arms of a guy we just talked a lot about, Eric Green for the score. After Anderson kicked the ball true, the score was now cut in half. At 14 to 7, the towels emerged in the Three Rivers crowd. They were alive again, Tony. They were. This was a very big answer for them after Tony Bennett and, and Quentin Corriott teamed up to make it 14 nothing. They really need to answer. You mentioned Rob Woodson's kickoff return that put him in prime position. And now the great touchdown from O'Donnell to uh, Green, uh, that, that was really, really huge. After holding the Colts to a three and out, the Steelers came out looking for even Steven. On third and four from the Steelers 38, the Colts <laughs> looked to hold on an incompletion from O'Donnell to Johnson. But Jeff Harrod was nailed for a legal contact to keep the drive alive for the Pittsburgh Steelers. When Foster ran for 14 yards on three carries, caught one pass for five, and rookies Charles Johnson and Bam Morris contributed, the men of steel found themselves on the Colts 29. So what do they do, Tony? They give the ball to number 29, and he rumbled right all the way into where? The end zone. And what a beautiful play this was. As you said, it was, it was around the right end, and, and he was pretty much untouched. It was great blocking all the way down the field. And we mentioned earlier in the show, he, he's somebody that the offense needed to get going, and he was really going on this play. Big assist from Duval Love, 
who was pulling and a block downfield from Thigpen to get him into the end zone at the 535 mark. Anderson's point after made the score 14 to 14. So check this out. After that touchdown, Tony, 16 carries for Foster on the day in only 20 minutes and 25 seconds, 100 yards. Absolutely yeah. incredible for this guy. You have the heralded rookie on the other side, and Beasley Reese was saying, you know, sometimes you sit home and you see all this attention going to a rookie from another team, and you're like, hey, don't forget about me. <laughs> and this is exactly what happened with Barry Foster. A great return by Dual Brewer and a face mask penalty by special teams Victor Jones set the white-clad Colts up at the Pittsburgh 30-yard line. But the Steelers' defense bottled up Marshall Falk, and then Kevin Green dropped Harbs for a sack of eight yards, and another punt ensued by the four-time Pro Bowler and soon-to-be Steeler, Stark. Two minutes and 40 seconds remained on the game clock before the half, and the Steelers had another chance at points. Starting on their own 17, runs and catches by Foster and Morris got the Steelers to their 40. Then O'Donnell, facing a ticking clock, went to the air seven straight times, highlighted by catches by Green, Thigpen, and another one of my all-time favorite Steelers. And his name was John L. Williams, and this was his first year with the Steelers. I thought he was an incredible free agent pickup. I love this former Seahawk. John L. Williams is my guy, and he had a great game today, Tony. He did, and he, as you mentioned, he was such a valuable weapon out of the backfield catching the football, and, and he was somebody I was hoping the Steelers would pick in the first round years earlier, so I was tickled to death like you that they were able to sign him as a free agent, and he was such a valuable member for them in the mid-'90s. And I will say that he is the greatest fullback in the last 30 years, and there's really no denying it. Steelers ended up at the visitors 28 with a second left on the clock. In comes Gary Anderson. Oh, my gosh, Tony. 46-yard field goal attempt. It bounces on the crossbar. Oh, things look bleak, man. That, that stinks. <laughs> you could go in a halftime, 17-14, but he hits the crossbar. Man, what are you going to do? You're going to throw your, 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 your arms up and say, yes, it was actually good. <laughs> It eked over. I've never seen that happen. I saw I've seen it against the Steelers, but it was great to see that trickle over the bar. So the Steelers lead at halftime, 17-14. After the break, the Steelers, who dominated the first half with 246 yards against Indies 47, well, they came out looking to ride their second quarter momentum, and they had a whole heck of a lot of it. However, the Steelers' streak of scoring in three straight drives was stopped when Ashley Ambrose intercepted a throw from O'Donnell to Johnson and returned the theft to the Indianapolis 34. The Steelers were indeed threatening, but O'Donnell's first interception of the year would be costly to this team. After the pick, Harbaugh comes out, throws passes to Dawkins, Falk, Roosevelt Potts, and Ronald Humphrey. He had the Colts in the red zone at the 19-yard line, then the man they called Captain Comeback found Dawkins for 19 and a retaking of the lead 21 to 17 with 603 left in the third. The Steelers and the Colts would both have to resort to punts on their next respective drives as the game bled into quarter number four. In the fourth, the Steelers continued to rely on Barry Foster. My gosh, he was fleet afoot for such a big man, Tony. The fifth-year man from Arkansas gained 22 yards on the first three plays of the series. 
Then O'Donnell shifted his attention over to rookie Bam Morris. Big Bam took a pass from Neal and took it 49 yards of the Colts 11. Tony, what are you thinking? You've got a dominant guy in Barry Foster. You've got another big man who's not a change of pace, but looks like a clone of Foster, and he's rumbling for 49 yards. Man, you got to feel good about these running backs because not only do you have these two, you've got the fullback in John L. Williams, who we just talked about, who was so valuable in this game. This was a great stable of runners, Tony. Were you feeling it? I certainly was. I mean, it was an, almost an embarrassment of riches back then. Cower had to love it because you know, earlier he was all about running the football and smash mouth in the fans. I mean, talk about a, a scheme that's tailor made for the city. Of, and Bam Morris, I mean, here, uh, we, we spoke about Eric Green earlier, but Bam Morris was somebody that had he had his life together, he could have been an all time great for the team. He really could have gone and had a great career for the Steelers. But as we also mentioned in the past, if it wasn't for, for his quirks and you wouldn't have been a bus here. So I guess it was all meant to be, but I, but Bam Morris, he, he came onto the scene pretty quickly and he had a great rookie season for the Steelers. On a third and seven from the eight, number 14 tossed to fullback, John L. Williams, John L. man, he was in for the score, Tony. The Steelers now lead 24 to 21 and the clock read 1108 left in the game. Stops of Falk and a sack by Kirkland turned the next series into a three and out. With 9.39 remaining, the Steelers, well, they had an opportunity to deliver that kill shot. And that's something you always want a good team to do. And this was a team that was able to do it, especially when you have those three runners. John L. started things off with a 19-yard catch and run. Then Foster reeled off 13 before being brought down by Colts master stopper and former Pitt Panther, Tony Saragusa. (laughs) Passes to Green and Foster and runs by Foster and Morris. Got the ball to the doorstep once again with a third and one. And the Steelers, well, they decide to go for the kill shot. Were they able to do it, Tony? And who with? It was uh, it was that man again, the, the rookie running back, Bam Morris, for a one-yard touchdown and pretty much put the game away. The, the Colts hung around the entire game, but the Steelers finally opened up a two-score lead really late in the fourth quarter, and, I, and they put the visitors away, and, and you could – Breathe easy if you're a Steeler fan. This is what fans in 2021 are begging for. It was Morris's first career TD, but the most important thing, only 228 remained on the clock after a 13-play, 81-yard drive, and that's what we want now. If we could harken back to 1994 and have this type of play, wow, it would be absolutely amazing. Would there be a comeback for a captain comeback, though, Tony? No, it wouldn't happen. In fact, Keevan Henry got an interception of Harbaugh deep down into Steeler territory towards the end of the game because Kevin Green absolutely rocked number four Harbs. That was it. The Steelers ran out the clock with Morris, and they were victorious. It was a great game. It was a comeback. Essentially, the defense only gave up seven points, but they gave up 21 to a team because of lapses on offense and lapses on special teams, Tony. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, We talked about a few weeks ago with that Vikings game from 09. There's a lot that goes into a game uh, other than offense and defense and special teams factors in, mistakes on the offense factor in. And and we saw that in this game with the the opening kickoff for a touchdown, the Tony Bennett attack and return from Quinton Coriot. That's what kept the Colts in this game. And, and the Steelers defense was fantastic. But 
<laughs> they, they got off by the skin of their teeth. Look at this time of possession, 39-31 to 20-29. 500 total yards for the Steelers. 175 total yards for the Indianapolis Colts. If you look at Barry Foster, 179 yards on the ground and a touchdown. 31 carries. That's pretty good. I would say he was back. Bam Morris was 10 for 56. John L. Williams was two for 26. But all three of those guys, not as much Foster. Foster had three receptions for 13 yards, but Bam was two for 55. John L. Williams was six for 45. And Eric Green was four for 60. So they were getting a lot of action out of their offense. But Tony, I want to ask you a question. We're going to start something new on the retro show, and it's going to be a game ball. Who are you giving your Steelers game ball to? When you said those stats, and, and I when I watched them during the broadcast, like, wow, that's one that has to be one of the greatest rushing performances in franchise history, at least certainly up to that point. So yeah, it had to be Barry Foster. As I mentioned earlier, he was the he was the cog that made that offense work back then. And and to get him going was huge for, for that 1994 team. If I'm giving a game ball on the defensive side, I'm giving it to Greg Lloyd. Lloyd was masterful in this game. He was just dominant and all over the place. We didn't say him too much, but when you're watching that game, he was just crazy good that day. He was one of the best of his era. For Tony Defio, my name is Brian Anthony Davis. You could take us away. We don't mind, but you better promise us we will be back in time. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.